It had been a typically unsatisfactory day. Carmody had gone to the office, flirted mildly with Miss Gibbon, disagreed respectfully with Mr. Wainbach, and spent fifteen minutes with Mr. Blackwell, discussing the outlook for the football giants. Toward the end of the day, he had argued with Mr. Seidlitz, argued vehemently, and with a total lack of knowledge, about the steady depletion of the country's natural resources and the remorseless advance of destructive agencies such as Con Ed, the Army Engineering Corps, tourists, fire ants, and pulp paper manufacturers. All of these, he contended, were responsible in varying degrees for the spoliation of the landscape and the steady obliteration of the remaining pockets of natural loveliness. Well, Tom, sardonic, ulcerated Sidelitz had said, you've really thought about this, haven't you? He hadn't. Miss Gibbon, an attractive young lady without much chin, had said, Oh, Mr. Carmody, I really don't think you should say that. What had he said, and why shouldn't he say it? Carmody couldn't remember, and thus remained unrepentant, though vaguely guilty. His superior, plump, mild Mr. Wainbach had said, There really may be something in what you say, Tom. I'll look into it. Carmody was aware that there was very little in what he had said, and that it didn't bear looking into. Tall, sardonic George Blackwell, who could speak without moving his upper lip, had said, I think you're right, Carmody, I really do. If they switch Voss from free safety to strong side cornerback, we'll really see a pass rush. Upon further reflection, Carmody decided that it wouldn't make any difference. Carmody was a quiet man, of a predominantly melancholic humor, with a face that neatly matched the elegiac contours of his disposition. He was somewhat above the average in height and self-deprecation. His posture was bad, but his intentions were good. He had a talent for depression. He was cyclothymic. Tall, beagle-eyed men of vaguely Irish antecedents usually are, especially after the age of thirty. He played a decent game of bridge, even though he tended to undervalue his hands. Nominally, he was an atheist, but more by rote than conviction— His avatars, which can be viewed in the Hall of Potentialities, were uniformly heroic. He was a Virgo, dominated by Saturn when it was in the House of the Sun. This alone could have made him outstanding. He shared the common human hallmark. He was simultaneously predictable and unfathomable, a routine miracle. He left the office at 5.45 and caught the subway uptown. There he was pushed and jostled by many people whom he wished to think of as underprivileged, but whom he suspected of being acutely and irrevocably undesirable. He emerged at 96th Street Station and walked the few blocks to his apartment on West End Avenue. The doorman greeted him cheerfully, and the elevator operator gave him a friendly nod. He unlocked his apartment door, went in, and lay down on the couch. His wife was vacationing in Miami, therefore with impunity, he propped his feet on the nearby marble table. A moment later there was a clap of thunder and a flash of lightning from the middle of the living room. Carmody sat upright and clutched at his throat for no particular reason. The thunder rumbled for several seconds, then was replaced by a pean of trumpets. Carmody hastily removed his feet from the marble table. The trumpets ceased and were replaced by a brave skirling of bagpipes. There was another flash of lightning, and a man appeared, in the middle of the brilliance. The man was of medium height, stocky, had curly blonde hair, and wore a golden-colored cloak and orange leggings. 
His features appeared normal except that he had no ears. He took two steps forward, stopped, reached into the empty air and plucked forth a scroll, tearing it badly as he did so. He cleared his throat, a sound like a ball bearing failing under a combination of weight and friction, and said, Greetings. Carmody did not reply, being struck by a temporary hysterical muteness. We are come, the stranger said, as the fortuitous respondent of an ineffable desire. Yours! Do any men? No so then, shall it? The stranger waited for a reply.